On this episode of the Football Apex Podcast, me and James were joined by Jack Bryant as he joined the show for the second time. We opened up the show talking about Liverpool and Real Madrid, that matchup and all the connotations of what could happen. We talked about Bayern versus PSG, one of the most exciting matchups in the quarterfinals. We talked about our best midfielders in the world. We discussed Mbappe and what he has done this season. We talked about Neymar and why he is and continues to be one of the most misunderstood uh, players in world football and why the perception about him is completely wrong. Uh, Then we talked a little bit about Cristiano Ronaldo and Leo Messi, a little bit about the GOAT case and what it would do, what would Ronaldo need to do to uh, escalate himself. Um, we talked about the Euros, we asked Jack about England and what he expects and all of his ideas on that. Um, I made an argument for Chris Smalling to make the England squad and then we finished up with uh, a Q&A. I hope everybody enjoys this episode and thank you for listening. How's it going guys? It's James and Elliot back with another episode of the Football Effects Podcast. And we've got a special guest. It's Jack Bryant. Um, Liverpool's finest journalist, and we're going to be talking this week about a whole array of topics, including the next summer's Euros and the upcoming Champions League ties. Now, I'll kick it off to you, Jack. Now, this is special because I'm on Madrid's side, you're on Liverpool's, but there's a key absence here, and it's Sergio Ramos. Now, I think he's going to be a key factor, not only for the whole Salah-Ramos rematch narrative, the silly Twitter battles that are going to go on, but also because of what he does anemically, because he's a big emotional figure in that locker room. He's, like, very powerful. He might be leaving this summer if his contract expires. And not having him here, this could potentially be some of his last games at Real Madrid. So they're games he definitely doesn't want to miss. So I think he's a key thing about the tie. Yeah, I agree about Ramos, because not only is he your best defender... Is he's a leader as well, and we saw against Man City last season in the second leg, he didn't play, and he crashed out. And even against Ajax as well, I think he didn't play in the second leg or the one that he lost four one. So shows how important he is. And I think without him, we've got a much much better chance of going through. Um, is Van Dijk coming back? Because like, the... I'm curious. I honestly am afraid of this team. Like people keep joking at Liverpool at home as if they're. They're not a previous winner in the last. They're a more recent winner than Real Madrid is, if that makes sense. Yeah, and you know what it is though. It's like it's like the, the the Premier League version of Liverpool, and I might not be the best person to say this, but I do watch them. They just look completely different the way, than the way they they look in the Champions League. And a lot of people tried to discredit Leipzig. That was a team that was in second place, challenging yeah. Bayern at the time, and they made them look ridiculous. And it's not because Leipzig isn't a great team. It's because Liverpool have this sort of mentality under Klopp where they can, you know, go after it and, and legitimately challenge these games. And I think it, it goes into their favor. Actually, it goes into the favor of both teams because of the side of the bracket they're on. Because on the other side, you have Man City, PSG, and Bayern. And if Liverpool can get hot, I, I would not be surprised if they end up in the final. And it would kind of not justify, you know, the bad season that they've had, but it would, it would kind of brush it to the side, especially if they, they get to a final. And the Van Dyke thing is interesting, though, because – I wouldn't do it for the same reason I don't want Zaniola coming back for Roma this season. It's too much of a risk if you play him and, and get injured. But I think this this, this match sets up uh, a lot of different scenarios for both yeah, teams. Yeah, definitely. And what about um, Van Dyke? 
he I don't think he'll be ready at all this season. I think a case of rushing him back oh. is going to be about the Euros and whether um, Frank de Boer is going to rush him back or not. Not sure how much of a say Klopp has, but I think we won't see him at all until at least the Euros, but most likely not until next season. Oh, that's interesting. Because, like, that kind of gives me, like, that relieves a lot of pressure. I'm yeah. not going to lie. In that case, that's a fair, that's a fair matchup. Both teams don't have their best defender. It's, it's, a, it's a tricky match, this one. And I was going to say, Liverpool have ripped one out of Real Madrid's book. And I'll give you an example. In 2016, Real Madrid had nothing to play for except the Champions League. So they could either have a really good season by winning the most difficult championship or the worst season, go trophyless. And luckily, under Zidane, they were able to win it on penalties against Letico. With Liverpool, I don't think they're contending for the league anymore. I think it's safe to say that. So Yeah, it's done. In the Champions League, every game is new. You know, like you can't win the first leg and think you've won the tie because anything can happen. And so just just remember, they're the third most successful, third joint most successful team in this competition. So they are a team to be not taken lightly. And they're one of the eight best left. Win this game, you're in the semifinal, potentially against Chelsea um, if they beat Porto. Or I believe they might be the ones to face PSG or Bayern. But that's that's a big motivation for them. Um that I think they're gonna they're gonna take the league lightly and the Champions League very seriously because like historically that's the thing that makes them stand out against the other un, other English teams. But Jack, I could be wrong. Like as a Liverpool fan, what would you rather focus on, the Champions League or try to get into the top four or maybe even still contend for the Premier League? Um, I mean the Premier League title is definitely out of the window. We're far too far behind, but I think we can do both. Uh, if you asked me a few weeks ago, I would have said definitely Champions League, top four's out of reach, but. We saw today Chelsea lost 5-2 to West Brom. We beat Arsenal really convincingly. We looked as good as we did last season. So if we can keep that up, I think we can definitely... Do you think Liverpool have like those those mood swings? You know what I mean? Where it's like sometimes they're really world-class. And in other times, you know, they lose 7-2 at Aston Villa, which I thought was a joke. I thought the 7 was a 1. Like, I didn't, I didn't believe it, man. 7-2. It felt, it felt like, like a dream. <laughs> I remember just yeah, laughing at the end of it. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Like, trust me, Real Madrid have blown leads against small Liga teams and lost four or five one. And I laugh, but like, Liverpool had just won the league with the second most points of all time with their fully healthy team and Salah scored two. And for that to happen, like, don't get me wrong, it, that that doesn't highlight the season. That's just like a reference for for people in the future to use against Liverpool. But it did show that they weren't the same team as last season by any stretch of the imagination. However, yeah, that, th- sorry, I just want to say something. That that game was so confusing for me because it's like, well, Liverpool obviously are, are one of the best teams in that league, but and if you if they lose like that, you would expect it to be against Man City or you know, um, you know, one of the one of the top top teams in that league, Man United maybe something like that. But to lose like that against Aston Villa just confused me, and it made me kind of feel like. I don't know. I thought it could have. I thought maybe it could have been a one-off. It was just a bad day at the office because we all ha- we all have those. Um, but the fact that it wasn't against a really strong team kind of was a little concerning, just from an outside perspective. Hmm. Also, Jack, optimistically, Liverpool win the tie. Do you think they have what it takes to win the whole entire competition? And hey, would you then bring Van Dyke if he's somewhat questionably fit to play in the final? I mean, I guess if he's ready, but then 
it depends how sharp he is because no matter how good a player mm-hmm. is, if you've not played football in, I think it'll be seven months yeah. by then, you don't know how good they'll be. Whereas Kabak and Phillips, obviously they're much inferior players, but the way they're playing right now, I think it'd be unfair to drop them. So mm-hmm. I think we, no matter what, I don't think he comes back anyway, unless he gets a couple games beforehand. But again, that's highly, highly unlikely as it stands. That's fair. Because like, the reason I mention it is because one thing that Ellie and I always mention is Lucas Moura in the 2019 Champions League final, he was dropped for Harry Kane, who was not match fit. But it's Harry Kane in the Champions League final. And Pochettino must have thought, I'm going to pick name over form. And so like that was for me where I learned in football that you should just pick the most informed players you got, regardless of what's on the back of their jersey. You know? And so like that's why I was wondering about that. Because like if I have Van Dyke and like he's at fifty percent, what's that compared to like my average defender at full fitness, full form, you know? But I, I guess you're right. Cause he could he could re injure himself and it all goes to waste, all that recovery and physical therapy. Um Exactly. And, and if, if he gets injured seriously again, it's like that's yet another serious injury for a for a, you know, a player that's in his prime right now. And that could, you know, totally dis- detach him from what he's capable of doing over the next, you know, five, six, seven years, whatever it is. And again, I, I, I draw somewhat comparison to the Zaniolo thing. Obviously, he's much younger, but that's two knee surgeries in a row. We brought him back last year. He did well. And then he got injured. If, if he comes back in the Champions League final, just just for the sake of argument, and he plays, I don't know, a great game, but then in the last 10 minutes he tears up his knee or mm-hmm. something, that's going to have, like, it's, it's just not worth it. Like, obviously, Liverpool, if they're in a Champions League final, they want to win it, and that he's going to be so important to that happening. But if, if you play like, you know, even if they win it and he tears up his knee or something horrible happens, then next year his, his progress will be slow. He could be out for most of the year. And then it's like you can't get that back. And it's, I just think it's too much of a calculator risk, especially considering, you know, the teams that, you know, Liverpool have a chance to win it because in knockout competitions, for the most part, they've done really well on their clock. But it's just too much at stake to, to make that, you know, decision to play Van Dyke with the possibility of him getting injured. And if he gets injured and then he doesn't play next season and Liverpool aren't in the Champions League, it's going to be really difficult to overcome, even though they have a lot of great players. I agree, because like when Van Dyke got injured against Everton, that was not his. Con- he was not in control of his destiny there. But coming back and calculating when he wants to reintegrate himself, that is in his control. So if he does re-injure himself, that would be on the staff, partially on him, and that's something that no one wants. Um, and also another point I was going to add, Jack, is does Thiago play better in the Champions League, or is he the same player in every competition? Because like I want to see the most of him, but so far, we haven't seen the same levels as we did last season when he was at Bayern. Yeah, I think um, against Leipzig, the two legs, I think that's the best he's played for us. I mean, I don't think he's been as bad as people say. I mean, he had a couple um, not-so-good games against Leicester and Man City, but other than that, I think he's been really good. I think the issue is with, especially centre-mids, when or like deep-line playmakers especially, when you're not getting goals and assists... Yeah. And people aren't actually watching the games. People just assume he's bad because Liverpool are bad, but he's actually played quite well. Obviously, not to the same level as Bayern, but since Fabinho has come back into midfield, he's looked brilliant, I think. So, yeah, I think definitely better in the Champions League, but he's starting to find that form in the Premier League as well. I absolutely agree. 
I, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I think we're about to say the same thing, but go ahead. Like, that's a fact. Premier League fans, they, they need that the statistics to rate a player. Like, Nabi Keita, when he was at Leipzig, world-class player, potentially, sorry, world-class player. But he comes to the Premier League, and his expectations are different. So now he's got that pressure of, like, I got to score a goal every other game. Whereas when he was at Leipzig, you could you could be like Modric score a goal the whole season, but if you're doing well with the team's contribution, you'll be recognized. And I feel like when you come to the Premier League, that's just an added element of stress and like a hurdle that not every player can get past. You know, like Gundogan winning Player of the Month. I think that was due to the like the bunch of goals he got against Tottenham. I think he got one against Liverpool. Yeah, but but that's not what I like him for. I like him for the things, the build up, the intelligence, the hold up. But if he didn't score goals much less recognition. Um, right. And I, and I think the point here is that, yes, stats matter to a certain point. And I only use stats when I'm, you know, when I'm talking about breaking down a defensive midfielder versus attacking midfielder. And if this said defensive midfielder has better stats than these guys, I mean, this, I, I usually make this argument, but only for mm-hmm. Joshua Kimmich, just because he's not playing at a super hyper attacking situation. So there's relevance to statistics in comparison, but you can have, like, I'm just going to mention this guy because I've been such a fan of his game and I wish my club could afford him. But Locatelli at Sassuolo, his stats look terrible. They're not, there's nothing impressive about the statistics that he puts up. But then you watch him play and then he's like, okay, I get it. He's one of the best midfielders in the league. And I'm sure there's examples of this in, in all of the big leagues, but it's not just about who has the most stats because you can have great stats and have it be underwhelming and you can have no stats and be the, you know, the best at said position in the league. And I think to a certain extent, it's just the statistics, not just in England, England's a big part of it, but in all leagues, it's glorified so much. And you very, you rarely see a player who has, you know, six goals win a, a individual award in, in the leagues. And I think stats are important, obviously, but if that's how you're judging an, the totality of a player, then you have a problem because that's not how you evaluate anything. You have to like if you just watch the guy play, that's how you that's the, should be the initial evaluation, and then you can talk about stats. Stats should be the third or fourth most important thing when you're looking at a player. And I think the fact that so many people are are so you know gun ho about stats, and I think Tiago is a great example. He hasn't been as great maybe as he has as Bayern. But when I've seen him play, for the most part, he's looked good. But because he has no stats or no goals or assists or whatever it is, you know, people just seem to bring that argument up. And I think that's something that we need to normalize the sort of mentality of, like, stats should matter, but yeah, only I to agree. a point. I, I just wanted to say about Gundogan quick, because I agree with you completely, James. His um, IQ, technique, and his passing, and even his defending as well, what I like about him the most and the thing about the hype he's getting this season compared to the rest of his career he's been this good for years like even Man City especially at Dortmund he's been this good for so long but only now he's getting credit because he scored 12 goals in the Premier season so that sort of backs up the point completely and like for example do you remember when he was like remember that baby Dortmund team that Klopp had that made the Champions League final and uh, I think Gotze sat out because he was injured and making that transfer to, to, to Bayern. Gundogan scored that penalty against Neuer, mm-hmm. which I might add, that's prime Neuer, and he sends him the wrong way. Like, I wish I could say that. <laughs> but mm-hmm. with, without that goal, not a lot of people know how well he performed in that match, you know? 
And I feel like there's a lot of examples. There's countless examples. Modric against Shakhtar this season in the first game that they lost, unfortunately, at home, scored a banger. But he played really well the rest of the game. But people, when they rate Modric for that match or for the season, it's like based on his goals. Tony Kroos in the 2018 World Cup, if he didn't score that goal in Sweden, but Germany had won the game based on someone else's goal, he still would deserve man of the match, but he wouldn't get it because he didn't get the goals. And I feel like that's something that, I mean, hey, I, the midfielders can't control, you know? Now, one thing I, I, I do want to know yeah. is, like, that's... there are midfielders that get goals that aren't the best. Like, well, for example, Bruno Fernandes gets really good stats and all, but I still think that, like, Kevin De Bruyne is the best midfielder in the world. Or Joshua Kimmich, even if he doesn't get goals or assists, is still one of the best midfielders in the world. Like, who do you guys rate as, like, your top three midfielders? Because, like, those three are um, like, De Bruyne. I, I'll, I guess I'll go. The two, the two Bayern ones, uh, 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 Kimmich yeah, and um, Gregatska, and then, and then, are you just talking in general or the last, like, uh, 18 months? Maybe, like, right now, like, the last three months of the year. Uh, like, their, cur- their current ability, basically. Then, yeah, current ability. And I, I realize it's a vague question because you can't really compare a center defensive mid to a center attacking mid. But I guess, like, loosely, like, if you think midfielder, who would you want in your in your starting three? If you can have three midfielders in your team. Oh. Okay, so so I go. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stretch this a little bit. So so I like the two the two ones at Bayern, um, just because they complement mm-hmm. each other so well and they can do multiple things. Um, so those I take for sure, and then I get then it's it's a little, uh, then it's, it becomes difficult. Um, the other three people I really think of is um, is obviously KDB and uh, and Bruno. Even though I was late to the Bruno party, and the reason I was so late was because he's one of the worst <laughs> Serie A players I ever saw. So it, it was it was hard for me to like t- detach the Sampdoria and Udinese Bruno to what he's doing in Man United. And obviously, people always talk about oh he's he's got a, a thousand penalties, but he played he's brilliant. Um, so it's and, and obviously KDB there and then. Um, I really like Barella as maybe a alternate option as well. Um, but those are the kind of the ones that I think of. But right now, I the Bayern two are the ones that I'm most infatuated with. But with with a lot of great midfielders that we have, it's a really difficult question. Answer like every few weeks, every few months, yeah. because because there's so many players in contention. Same. But I'll tell you right Same. now, I'd have Fabinho as a sitting midfielder. Like, I love him. Mm-hmm. I think he's brilliant. Good at everything, I'd say. Defending, mid, like, passing, he can shoot as well. And then I'd have KDB. And then uh, someone who hasn't been mentioned yet, who I've become a big fan of recently, is uh, Verratti from PSG. Because, yeah, it makes sense not to play them because of, you know, club commitments. But they probably still love their countries and they still want to, like, they still want to play every game when they're fit. So especially Ramos, because I think, didn't he just break the record for most yeah. Spain appearances? He yeah, wants to play to do that, so... Yeah, you could easily tell him, like, yeah, um, we don't want to play you because of upcoming games, but he'd want to play and he'd be um, maybe be upset about that. So I think you're right, but it's probably tricky to maybe tell players no, basically. That is fair, because, like, you have Cristiano Ronaldo uh, chasing the all-time international goal scorer record. Um, you can't tell this man that he can't play an international game. No joke, at this stage of his career, at 36, this is probably like international games are the things he probably plays for nowadays because that's going to be the crown jewel. He's got the most goals. I think 
in all competitions as a player, but to have the most yeah. international goals and he has international trophies to add to it. I think what what else would he need? Like a bar look, like in his case, which is particular, a Champions League win with Juventus, which doesn't look likely. I mean they're not going to this year. <laughs> and the most goals in international football, and then he's done. Like he's he's done everything in his career that he could possibly. Do. Right, J- James. In in what aspect are you talking about? Are you talking about his uh, his goat case or what he's playing for now? Because uh, I, I I'm just confused of, on what you what the like, point is here. If he still has a chance in the goat case, I think if he wins the Champions League with Juventus, becomes the most has the most goals in international football ever. That's all he has left because the World Cup. That's something that I don't particularly think that he can win, that that squad can particularly win. Well, yeah, I think, obviously, I think to a certain extent you're right. He's probably playing for that and trying to – I don't know how to say this respectfully. He's trying to stack the deck with as much um, ammo in that argument uh, with him being the GOAT. Because for me, I think winning the Champions League with Juventus takes him up a couple spots. Yeah. I don't think it takes him to the top, and I don't even I don't think it takes him to second. Like for me, Messi's my my top. It's probably always going to be that way. Cruyff is my number two. On my this this, this is me speaking from person uh, from me personally. Those two, something crazy would have to happen for him to do that. If he wins the Champions League, wins the World Cup, and scores like sixty goals at thirty eight years old. <laughs> Some, something crazy would have to happen. But either way, I think winning with Juventus takes him, regardless of where you have him on your list or whatever, it takes him – it gives him more ammo because I think Cristiano Ronaldo actually oh, yes. deeply cares of how people uh, – to a certain extent, how people perceive him and how the, uh, the community of football see him. So there's a lot of people, and I've always said this, 60, I think 67% think Messi's the GOAT. And I think Maradona's in there, and I think there's others in there, and I think Ronaldo's in there, but not as much as he would like it to be in the way he's being discussed. And this is my this is my <laughs> my conspiracy theory. <laughs> That's why I think he always says he's he's the greatest all the time is because th- there's not uh, he doesn't have the beret of people that Messi does who are who is saying that he's the greatest, and he wants more people to recognize his greatness, and he is all time great, no question. But does a Champions League or a World Cup take him to the top spot? I don't think so. But again, if he does this and becomes yeah. like the all-time top scorer, it gives his case more ammo. So the next generation of, of, of you know, because we didn't see um, um, Cruyff play and people like that. Um, I saw Zidane at the end um, and, and all right and all of them. There's, there's all these great players that maybe we haven't seen. So in the future, you know, for the future generation who's going to come to football, and, and I feel bad for them because they weren't able to see Messi and Ronaldo at the, at the peak, they're, they're going to use what they accomplished and the things they did and how they look on, 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 the, on YouTube as ammo of why they think this guy is the best. So I think as far as Ronaldo, if he achieves this, wins, even if he doesn't win the Champions League, if he becomes the top scorer ever – for the new generation, that he's gonna, there's gonna be people mm-hmm. kind of going in his corner that maybe didn't see him. So I think that helps. But I think overall, it's I think it's it's a hard thing to chase down. But obviously, he wants to pamper himself with the, as many records and accolades as he possibly can, just because a lot of people still see Messi and others as greater than him. For me, like 
with the Ronaldo case, he's got to add more. Whereas with the Messi case, I'm convinced already. Like Messi could retire right now, and I believe he's the best player that ever lived. Not based on not based on paper or anything. Just on like when I yeah, think same. of what he does, yeah. at the ages he was doing it. With with by the way, yeah. those Mourinho teams wanted to hurt Messi. He that's one thing that people never talk about. Like he was, yeah, like he's been through everything. They when tried he, to. When he won that Clasico, which unfortunately, well, I say for, unfortunately, when Ramadan won the league, but Messi scored that 90th minute winner in the Bernabeu. Those are things that like you dream of. And there's honestly nothing he hasn't done. It's ridiculous. And it's not like he's upstaging Ronaldo. That's just writing his own story. Plus, if what Messi's done for Argentina is failure, that's some pretty good failure because he's reached a World Cup final. He's been to three Copa America finals and he's the all-time assister in the Copa America. He's in probably the most toxically difficult qualifying. Um, the Conmebol, I want to say they're all world-class teams, but there's no Luxembourgs. There's no Macedonias or no offense, but like there's no Andrinos. Right, but but James, he's yeah. also fighting a losing battle because of what Diego Maradona yeah. did. If Diego Maradona never won the World Cup, nobody would care. This message won the World Cup. It's because he did that now Messi has to follow that with his own greatness. And if it, do, if it doesn't equal up to Diego, then in a lot of people's eyes, or not that many, but people are going to take that away from as far as his international career. And Argentina does have a lot of talent. So but the enemy in, at home, like Messi needs the support of the people in Argentina. And yet those are the people that put the most pressure on him. Like I remember when Ecuador were one nil up in qualifying for the previous World Cup. Back in 2017, like all the all the journalists, which now I know why Messi doesn't like them, they were like, "Oh, we expected this. Messi's not going to show up. Never shows up." And then he does, and he takes them to the World Cup, and like he got so little acclaim for it, you know. And that's not that's when does Ronaldo? When does that happen to Ronaldo in Portugal? It's all support. That's that's one thing that I've, I've honestly overlooked, which is like he's got got more pressure than people think that are on his shoulders, but. But in summary, though, like Messi, what what does one more Champions League do yeah. for Messi? For for if he wins a, a Champions League for PSG or Man City, like that doesn't change anything for me. No, it's like, the same. His legacy is, is is kind of built already. Like he could he could not he could retire tomorrow and it wouldn't matter. I mean, it's just like I don't know. Legacy. I think his legacy is. I think to a certain extent, Ronaldo's legacy and Messi's legacy are already kind of set. I think they are where they are. Regardless of where you have them on the list, their legacies are what they're saying. I think no matter what Ronaldo wins, I say he wins the Champions League with Juve, he wins the Euros, and I say he wins the World Cup as well. I don't think it really matters because Messi's still better than him at football. Really, that's the way yes. I see it. Like he, They could both retire, but Messi could retire now, and I'd still consider him the best no matter yeah. what happens, really. Yeah, I love that point because that's what, this is, that's what we're talking about here. Who was better at football? And to my eyes, it's been Messi. And obviously... When you're having these comparisons and there's people that, that it's close, then you account for trophies and other things and things like that. But at the end of the day, who was who was the better player? And I think that's where it should end. But again, we're all, we always talk about, oh, this Champions League, or he didn't win a World Cup, or uh, Messi. This is the, and the one that bothers me the most is Messi stayed in one place. And I think that's just the dumbest argument ever because Ronaldo doesn't get extra points for going to different leagues. I, I this is it just confuses me that the people try to argue on that front. But I think as far as who's who's better at football, whoever you want, like again, if people who say Ronaldo, I disagree. But I don't. But he has an argument to a certain extent. 
and things like that. But like again, it it should come down to who's the better yeah, player. Yeah, I agree. I mean, his record against the top six clubs in the Premier League is brilliant. It's better than yeah. what Ronaldo's was in the Premier League. And um, like you were saying, James, about um, the Clasicos and the yeah. Mourinho. Messi was getting kicked left, right, and centre by like four players all the time, and then people try and say, "Oh, Messi couldn't handle Burnley. Like, he's had a lot worse than what he'd get here in those games alone." Yeah, so, yeah. I've never understood. Yes. Never. And and I might add, I think about the Premier League teams he faced. Like, come on, man! Like he faced that Liverpool team, almost scored a hat trick, scored a free kick that I'll never forget. Um, that many. Yeah, that many Wenger at twenty at twenty. He scored four goals against Arsenal. The greatest player in Wenger's eyes. Um, let's see that that. Yeah, and that's that wasn't even tenth place Arsenal that we have today. That was like loaded Arsenal. Ferguson, <laughs> imagine what have you he guys would seen do. Seen the clip? Ferguson's like he has his finch, uh, yeah. fist clench, and he doesn't know what to think because like. That's yeah. probably the one. You know, it's funny that Barca team were having fun. I don't think you can have fun in Champions League finals. That shouldn't be allowed. They were that good. It it makes me feel better. Better that Real Madrid only lost three one in aggregate. Th- that's what the finalists lost in ninety minutes. So like, I felt less bad. Um, but on that note, like Messi has written his story, but one player that's still writing his is is Neymar. And Elliot, we talked about how in twenty eighteen, if he doesn't get that injury in a meaningless League One game, PSG could have done some. Some good damage in that in that Champions League. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I firmly believe that he would have won the Ballon d'Or. He had, uh, and I'm just you know trying to think off the top of my head. It was 28 goals, 14 assists in that in that season, and there was there was still like two or three months left in the, in the campaign. And at that point, it felt like he was kind of running away with it. I mean, not running away with it, but he had a significant advantage. I feel like, and if again injuries happen to everybody. But Neymar's injuries have robbed him of, of being what he is. And again, I, I basically defend Neymar 24-7 just because, of, because people don't like him personally or don't like the, the diving stuff. And I don't like it either. They ignore how great he is or don't say he's as great because of that. And again, I, I said this all the time. If um, – I don't know. If anybody else does the same thing, they'll be praised for it. But if Neymar – they get – and this is, this is the thing that drove me crazy – because last year in the, in the in the Champions League, Neymar was involved in pretty much every stage that PSG advanced, and then they went to the final. And to me, he was the best player in the pitch. And if it, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to throw more stuff at Mbappe. But if Mbappe uh, scores one of those chances, it's a whole different story. <laughs> and then after the game, people had the audacity to blame Neymar for it happening. And again, if ne- if Neymar and Mbappe hooked up one of these times. And they won the Champions League. He would get no credit because he's un- he's unlikable. And again, I kind of like a villain, so that's why I, I'm kind of attracted to him in a certain sense. But that's the thing with Neymar that that really frustrates me is no matter what he does, he's going to be thrown away for it just because he's Neymar and he's he's unlikable. Because again, if anyone else does the same thing, you're going to have the best like uh, response for this. But when PSG beat Liverpool. In, in the group stages of the 2019 Champions League that Liverpool ended up winning, do you think that if Neymar was healthy in that Man United tie, that they would have gone through? This, this, this season has been different because I feel like Mbappe is holding it down for Neymar. I don't know if Neymar's fit, by the way, to play against Bayern because if he is, this is very exciting for him. This could be. This is a great Bayern team. Like, yes, there's no Lewandowski, but when he- no, but M- Mbappe has been great, and I've been I've been very harsh on him. That whole that 
whatever it was, three-part piece I did on Mbappe, I was very kind of him, but half of it is me just kind of highlighting all the misconceptions and how poor he's been against uh, teams in the knockout stage. So I've been tough on him, and I was just being as fair as I possibly can because the whole point of me doing that was you know, building up to that moment at Barcelona, which was it killed the narrative. He can't, he can't perform against the big teams because it was, it was one goal in three years with PSG and knockout rounds. But this season, he's been unbelievable. He is, I mean, French League has been actually pretty competitive this year. Um, and he was the youngest person to get to 100 league goals, and he's been fantastic. You can put him anywhere, and he can deliver, and he's doing it in big games, in the big moments. And for the first time in his career, while playing with Neymar, he's doing the yeah. one thing that we've always asked of Mbappe is to perform when Neymar isn't fit. And this season, for the first time, he's actually doing it. And he's doing it with at an incredible level. Um, again, it's, it's hard to outshine Neymar when you're his teammate. But all we, at, what we have asked of Mbappe is when he's not there, please show up. Just to like a, a 50% of what Neymar can be. And to, to I mean, this season he's been great in the – in the obviously the hat trick at Barca, and then he's he's been doing it for for his club, uh, even domestically as well. So I think he's he's lived up to what the expectation for the first time, which is beautiful to see, especially because he went through all those struggles. He had that moment in the Champions League final where it was like the worst day of his life, and then he was able to rebound from that and do what he's doing now. But he- and how people remember Neymar. Because, like, the reason I'd mentioned to you, Jack, the 2019 season is because Neymar missed the Copa America in Brazil because of the metatarsal re-injuring itself. Had PSG made maybe the semifinals or the final, or, you know, maybe even won the tournament, and then Brazil win the Copa America, Neymar gets his first ball in door. I'm convinced that that happens, despite how magnificent Messi was. And people change their, their narrative around Neymar. Because yeah. it, it's scary to think Neymar won't win a ball in door. Like... He's one of the best players to have ever played football in the top 100. And he's missing a lot of key ingredients that like, oh man, if this guy was yeah. was healthy, like he could, he's only got one champion. Like stuff like that, that, that bothers me. Cause like he's, he's not slow on a PSG, but it's like, when I think of Neymar, I don't think of a single statistic. I think of like, he puts a smile on my face because of what he can do to the opponents and the entertainment factor that he brings. But in terms of like output, you know, I think even Ronaldinho only had one Champions League and not the most goals, but he's an entertaining character. And I feel like with Neymar, he can he he has what it takes to do both entertain crowds, win games, win trophies and score a bunch of goals. But unfortunately, these injuries, they stopped what was messy esque goal tallies from happening. Because one thing I read about was in 2012, I think when he's still at Santos, which is not even a top 10 league in the world. He was, he was the 10th nominee for the Ballon d'Or, which Messi won with Iniesta as the Euro, UEFA Player of the Year. So you had, a bunch, you had the full span La Liga Team of the Year and then Neymar 10th at 20 years old. And now I think nine years on from that, he's, he's done a lot. He's, he, I remember that Olympic penalty winning goal in the same arena that Brazil had lost 7-1 to Germany in. There's a lot of great things that he's done, but I don't know. Do do you think I'm being harsh when I say that he might have been underwhelming or maybe just a little bit? I don't think so when he has played. I think he's done as much as he can given um, the injuries he's had, really. I think 
I think it's just the perception that without um, because I think one of the thing that one of the things that hurt him the most is when like, a season ends and you look back at the stats, you don't look at goal to game ratios, you look at who scored the most, who assisted the most. Mm-hmm. And because he gets injured all the time, he's never on yeah. those lists. So people who are, don't really want, actually watch him play, they look at that yeah. and think, oh, no, Neymar, he must be doing really bad. But it's far from the case. <laughs> don't get wrong, Neymar, yeah, when he does play, like you can't miss him. One thing that I always told people, is yeah. like, especially in these classicals, because in my case, I... When I grew up watching Barcelona, it was with like animosity. But the older I've gotten, I realize I can appreciate these fantastic players. And with Neymar, it's like, it's one thing to respect a player. And then there's another when you get cold, you get really nervous when he's on the field. And that's what Neymar does to your opponents or to like Real Madrid fans in a classic. Because he's just, he's, it's a pleasure to see him transfer out. How can I say this? Like, um, if an average player scores, 10 times as many goals as Neymar. Okay, maybe not 10 times as many goals, but like if he's outscoring Neymar, I still won't consider him more dangerous than Neymar because of what he can do at any moment in any game. But maybe that narrative won't last long if if he gets... Well, like when Neymar turns 35, if he doesn't have a major trophy to add to his collection, then you might just want... Or Ballon d'Or included. You might wonder like, what was what was he missing? to get that and did he have what it took to get there or were injuries just that derailing right but even but james even if that all happens again the same people again i don't like the diving either but people have victimized to a certain extent him as an image as a as a player no matter what they do whatever he does it's never going to be good enough for them to change their opinion of him because again unlikable Mm -hmm. to a certain i don't find him unlikable I think he's a very likable guy. I think I don't like the, the the diving. Obviously, I think at his best, there's there's it's hard to find someone better. Um, but the people that that often put the when something great happens, put it on anybody but Neymar. They're never going to change that perspective on him because what they they dislike is him. So even if he's even if he wins the Champions League three years in a row. They're going to find some way to, to say yeah. how he was carried by Mbappe or he only won because of this, that, and the other thing. You know what I mean? So it, it's, it, it's going to come from the perspective of yeah. someone who's neutral, someone who doesn't dislike Neymar but's not in love with Neymar, someone in the middle. How will the neutral people who stand in the middle, not on either side of the fence, view him if what you're saying is happening? But again, for the, pe- for the majority of the people who don't like him, that's not going to change regardless of how great he is. Because I'm just curious, like, my perception of him is great because of not only what we know and what we've seen, but in comparison to, like, what has been done in the past. Like, he's a modern great. He's already a legend. Um, I guess my respect for him is so big that I just want to see more. Like, to see Neymar only win one Champions League. Can you imagine if Messi won one Champions League? That would annoy me, you know? Like, come on, this guy is the greatest ever. What, you know, what on earth would have stopped him? And that's right. Well, I, well, I want to hold Neymar to that standard. Like, it, I'm reaching the point where, like, I guess if he's happy with that, that's okay. But like, Neymar could have been top ten all time, add a few more important trophies, and that works. It, it works out in the end. Like, um, Zidane without the World Cup, for example, he loses right. a lot of that greatest midfielder of all time, like street cred. But because of what he did in that game. 
1998 World Cup final. Got to another World Cup final in his last legs, in his last tournament ever. Like, those are the things that you remember. And I feel like with Neymar, unless he wins something huge, people will have the ability to criticize him and have that bad image to remember. But if Neymar wins a World Cup or wins a Champions League um, or a Copa America, hopefully, there's no way that they can overlook that, you know? Where's with Mbappe? Like, he's already written his story. Our favorites going into this next Euro. Now, Jack, I want to know, like, your honest opinions of, of England going into the Euros after every major tournament. They hype England up, undefeated in qualifying, only to get knocked out of the round of 16. Um, I think this was Roy Hodgson, of all people, if I'm not wrong. Um, I know, didn't right? even make no, it that far. That's ironic. But... Do you, do you enter every tournament with a little less optimism or do you always go in thinking we can win this? It's coming home, like in 2018. This is probably the most optimistic I've been in a tournament. I mean, I'm trying to think of all the, all the tournaments, maybe. Or at least the recent ones. 2016, didn't really have much expectation. We lost to Iceland. 2018, I had no expectation at all. Reached the semi-finals. That was brilliant. But yeah. the team we have now, compared to the 2018 team, it's far better. We've got so many more like really good players to the point where, obviously, you've had Alexander-Arnold get dropped, which I strongly disagree with. But for whatever his reasons, it shows how much depth we've got, really. And I think there, I think there's only a few teams yeah. with better players on paper. It's just a case of will Southgate get it right tactically and with his team selection. So I'm interested, interested to see how, how it's going to go. Because um, I think with the group stage, I don't know if it's if we win or go come second, or no matter what, we'll face either France, Germany, or Portugal. So I think it's literally going to be we either get knocked out in the last sixteen, or we make the final. Depends how we do in those <laughs> huge games. One of the two. But yeah, that is. I can't wait though. That is. I, I actually admire that sort of point of view because my logic has always been: if you face the toughest com- t- competition that it has. Then you have no reason to fear anymore. France beat Belgium. I knew they were going to win. Beaten, my opinion, the best team in the whole tournament, and they had done it in a way that wasn't fluky. Yes, Umtiti scored a near post header, but they had been solid that game, and they looked like they were not going to concede in 200 minutes. Also, like countless times when Barcelona have been eliminated from Champions Leagues, like people mock them and all, but like that's the team to beat every single year. Whoever beats them, statistically, won the competition every single time. Until, like, 2016 or 17, like, around there. Like, once you've knocked off the the king, um, or teams like I mentioned before, Portugal, the defending champion, Germany, France, two amazing teams. Maybe Germany not so much in the recent years. But if you can beat one of those teams, you can't not feel yourself to go all the way. And if England could make a World Cup semifinal, I'm not going to devalue the Euros, but I just feel like they have to have the confidence to say, we can do it again and maybe even win the whole thing. Plus, they're wiser. Like, Harry Kane with the World Cup Golden Boot. I don't know if Lingard is going to be starting the Euros, which would be pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. Like, that would that would be... Who would he... Jack, who would he start over? Grealish, Madison, Deli Alli doesn't even play anymore. Like, who's the center attacking mid for England right now? There's a lot of good <laughs> options, really. Um... I mean, it's difficult to say because Grealish or Foden, but I think you could play both of them. You could play Grealish on either the left wing or in the number 10, or you could play Foden in the number 10 or the right wing. So I think they can coexist, but I don't think anyone else will be 
in contention when they're all fit. Like Mason Mount plays, he's played a lot and he's played really well, but I just think Grealish and Foden are a level above. So if they're both fit, I think he'll be out of them too. Wow. Like this team is, they have a factory like of new talent almost every single tournament. I love it. And, you know, this is like the American in me speaking, but like with I see Pulisic McKinney and um, just all the Adams and the all Dest. and the, of course Dest 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 that's the most. And then I remember it clearly that Trippier goal. Same squad in the final, very like fit, mentally pumped and young. You know, like I I think that would have been the dream final. Which is funny because, like, months prior, we had seen a friendly between England and, and France. And it was, like, one of the most entertaining games I'd seen with Kane, Dembele, Mbappe. As... It's a shame, but, hey, they're, they're just all pumped now to do what, like, the previous generations haven't. And, and I guess on that note, like, we'll just have to, to wait and see because, like, the Euros are really just around the corner. They start, I think, on June June, the first week of June, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. All right. So I know he's he's probably not going to get picked, but I'm just I, because I don't know. It's I, but I just want to make an argument for Chris Smalling, even though no England fan wants to see him on a team. So I I just want to say this 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 one bit on this, and then we'll get into the ten questions. So obviously England are loaded. They have options at all these different positions and things like that, and I think their defensive options are pretty good. But if, if you're just going off the criteria of what someone – so you'd have to be a consistent player for the last, I don't know, 18 months or whatever. And Chris Smalling, you know, hasn't been in the squad for a long time, et cetera, et cetera. I don't expect him to get picked. But my, my thing is if you're just going off uh, – again, I'm not, I'm not going to get mad if he doesn't get picked. But just – then this might be the Roma fan in me. But ever since he's left England, he has been one of the – last year he was one of the best defenders in the league at center back. He, him and Mancini were, were excellent. This year when he has played, he's been excellent. So based on just from my point of view, the criteria of him being there, and I'm not asking him to start, but based on how he's played over the last, you know, two seasons, I think he, his, his spot is justifiable in terms of, of just making the squad – I'm sure he's not going to get picked, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm just making the case that he you should be what? at least in consideration. He's been out of my mind because he's not, because he's not been in the squad for years now, quite a few years now, and yeah, and he's on the, he's on the country, and so I've, I've done a lot of like twenty-three man squads, and Dude. he's not um, coming to my head once, but really on form, he should be in it because I think Stones and Maguire start regardless mainly because the experience and the partnership and because of how well they've played. But outside of them, there's not a lot of good defenders there because I think you've got like sort of system defenders like Connor Cody who can play in the middle of a back three, so he'd be good there. Tyrone Mings gets picked because he's left-footed. Dai gets picked because he's versatile. But in terms of actually actual ability, I think Smalling, I think he would deserve it. But I guess because he hasn't been in the squad for so long and he, because he's played well for Roma and Southgate still ignored it, I think he's probably done, which is probably quite unfair, really. But yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd probably say he deserves it. Really, on form, though, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And and my thing is, <laughs> look, when he when we signed him, I was not excited at all. I'm like, oh, here's another Premier League flop that's just not going to do it for us. Um, but then I had the same attitude with Mkhitaryan, and both of them have been unbelievable. 
And again, I'm not going to get Ben out of shape, but he should at least be flourished in the conversation. And again, he's probably not getting back in. But at the same time, when you talk about having a leadership uh, type of role um, in the team, which you need in these types of tournaments, even if he doesn't play a minute, he would be a good person to, I feel like, have in, you know, in those situations. And again, he's not our captain, but he's worn the armband um, in different situations. He's been the vocal leader. I'd like, I mean, I think most <laughs> Roma fans would like him to at least start to learn a little bit more Italian considering he does all his interviews in English. I, I, that's fine with me because I understand English better than Italian. But I think being just to, to embrace the culture, I think he needs to start, uh, and he is working on it, but so hopefully he'll be interviewing in Italians sooner rather than later. But considering his last 18 months and he, he provides leadership, he's someone who, who's been very consistent last year, who's excellent this year, a uh, little injury issue here and there. But, um, and so my issue isn't whether or not he'll be taken. Number one, he should be in the conversation. And the other thing I have a problem with is Gareth Southgate is making these decisions. I, I just want him to come to one game this season to see him play just because he's playing well. And if, again, you can watch him on TV. You can see that his, his, his performance, considering the Man United thing, is, is drastically different. Just give him a shot just because I think a leader, someone with a leadership role could uh, provide some value. But again, I'm, I, I don't expect him to be taken. I think he deserves it based on his last two years. Um, where I, I guess there are going to be certain players that England are going to take just based on reputation, where they not necessarily should be. But final against Liverpool, it's the perfect state. <laughs> of course, well, both of you guys. Yeah, I remember it very well. <laughs> I watched both. I've watched both legs at a at a bar in Minneapolis, surrounded, warned by Liverpool fans, and it was clear that. It was cool because they were, they were good guys and stuff, but it was a very emotional um, roller coaster for me, especially after the first, like, um, just quick story. on During that, um, th- th- there was a Liverpool fan <laughs> that felt bad for me. So when, when Roma, I think it was uh, Jekyll got the equalizer, she gave me a high five. <laughs> and then, uh, then Parati got a second one, and she's like, not this time. <laughs> but anyway, that, that's to a certain extent. Obviously, I know um, Jack and other people on, on – Social media and stuff, but getting to be around other Liverpool fans is actually quite a unique moment. But I remember that whole thing very well. (laughs) In a big, high-profile game, maybe that would be what changes his mind. Because who who couldn't talk about it if if Roma, you know, outclassed a big team? But unfortunately, I think are are they still in the like right? If we got to the, t- we're not going to. I actually going to rip us to pieces. But I expect it to be like seven one on aggregate, um, and I expect Ajax to actually win the whole thing. But if we were able to get past Ajax, I know something. It would have to be a miracle in, in my point of view. But and then play Man United, and Chris Smalling plays a starring role of getting to the final, and then Roma wins the Europa League. Then I think you at least have to give him a fair chance, and Southgate should look take a look. Um, just for the, just be, the fact that he would have to go through, I'm guessing it would be Man United, but they already think they're in the semifinal, which I think is partly a problem with that. But, but like you said, if in a big gravity situation, him being important could lead to that. But again, I, I just don't think he'll be taken partly because I don't know. I think there's some stigma against English players, not, not playing in, um, one of the hardest jobs in football because, you can score a bicycle kick in a Europa League final against Inter Milan. I'm talking about Diego Carlos here, and still not be strongly considered to start for Brazil, you know. And with Smalling, like 
I'm I'm thinking like, what would he have to do yeah. to get Southgate's attention? Aside from like tweet at him or something. No, I'm kidding. But like, what would he really have to do to get into that squad? Like, win the Europa League? Because even then, like, there's always the people that devalue the competition and say it's just the mini mini mouse version of the Champions League. I think I think he's fighting a losing battle. If if you're gonna, I mean, the, the argument for last year is stronger. It was great against Juventus. Against in the Napoli game, he made a goal line save it, out of the air. It was it was unbelievable. Um, so there's a lot of data from last year that would that would suggest that he deserves to be there. This year, the season's going badly. We're not playing well. Um, he's he's you know he's he's out at the moment because of injury, but he's he's supposed to be coming back very soon. And then we have two big games left. Or we have Inter, we have Lazio, we have Alonso. Have also played foreign leagues and they're getting picked. But the, the issue with Smalling is, like, That's- I don't think there's anything he can do because, based on the form last season especially, yep. he should have been back in the squad. What yeah. I think he's done is, and he did it with Joe Hart and Wayne Rooney, is when he first came, he wanted to show like, oh, I'm the man, I'm not a yes man, I can make big decisions. So he started dropping some of like the old guard. So with Hart and Rooney, I got because they were like quite old and out of form. But with Smalling, I think because he's played so yeah. well and he's not been picked again, I think it's sort of a bit of a bit of stubbornness to his ways. He wants it to be his team, his players, and yeah. I think that's even part of it with Trent because yeah, he's not had as as good of a year as last year. But I don't think Reese James is a better right back than Trent or even Trippier or any of them. I still think he's the best one. So. I think it is a case of him maybe trying to show that he can make big decisions still because I, I don't know how he can justify it. I know he mentioned the poor form, but Reese James is being rotated with Hudson-Odoi and Trippier was out for three months with a betting ban, so I don't get that argument at all. And it, it also with form, like Pickford's not playing well, but he's still in the England mm-hmm. team and Tyron Mings as well. He's not played too... I don't mean Mings, but like Eric Dyer is probably a good example, not really... Mm-hmm played well but he said in the squad so I think it was sort of a power move for him and I think that's what he's done with spawning as well yeah I think that's fair um we're gonna go on to fan questions real quick here but I just want to say one thing honest I, I think um I think it just kind of shows after last year wasn't picked because I watched Smalling the entire time in Man United um there there's been great moments there's been very low moments as well um I think I, I think there's at least an argument the last season was the best year of his career and he wasn't picked. So if that's the case, um, I mean, they didn't do it, but Juventus were interested. That was a real thing. Um, they were looking for a partnership for DeLitt. Um, Alantha were interested. Not that they're the greatest team ever, but they were just coming off a, a, a top four finish again. So after last season, I just think it, it just, I, I just don't feel like it was ever going to happen for him. Twitter yeah, uh, thing. Um, so, first one I'm, is, uh, is how important is the overall play of strikers? Uh, we can think, just go in a circle. I think Kane's a really good example go of that. Obviously, he's a really good goal scorer too, but since he's been getting a lot of assists in his game and how good his passing has been, it's just made the team play better as a result. When he did get um, those 10 assists between like the start of the season and I think November, Tottenham were near enough top of the league. So when he was at his creative peak at the start of the season they play a lot better as a team. Since that's kind of dropped off a bit, obviously there's a lot of other factors to, as to why their form's gone bad, but I think his creativity not being as good is probably a big one as well. So I think it's definitely important, for sure. I definitely agree. Like, it, it can't not be a good asset, especially 
to add to your point, Jack, with age, James, what do you think? More intelligence because they've seen more football. They feel it differently. And at the loss of pace, which I think Kane's lost a step or two, he's become a better player. And I'm like, how? It's just because he makes better decisions and every touch of the ball has more purpose. Whereas when you're like, not to use Vardy as an example, because he's he's a pretty effective player, but like when you're full of explosive pace and less technique oriented, you can kind of make do with the, the mistakes. But when you're a slower player, maybe not a striker like Tony Kroos, for example, he's a very intelligent player with every touch he has because he does not have the luxury of using his athleticism to get around it. So I feel like an all-out striker is, is crucial because at any age, they can just use that IQ, the things that they've built over a whole career to wiggle them out of the tough situations. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think a really good example of that as well is Ben Zemmer. Obviously, yeah. he's always been like, he's always quite a quick player anyway, but let's yeah. compare him with like Higuain and Cavani. Ben Zemmer is obviously the more technical, probably the more intelligent and better link-up play. And because of that, he's got more longevity on them because as he gets older, loses a bit of pace, a bit, a bit of um, not maybe not as clinical. You know, probably still is as clinical, but the main point is about overall play. It's led him to still be a world class striker at the age of like thirty four, whereas the others have dropped off a lot since. So yeah, I think definitely overall play link up. It's crucial. Yeah, and I agree with you guys. Um, my the thing for me is, uh, you know, what do you want to call IQ intelligence? I think having a complete striker is is incredibly valuable because they can do multiple things. Obviously, this season Harry Kane is the classic example. Um, but even you look at the at the production that you've seen from Robert Lewandowski, he, he may not have the assist numbers that Kane has, but he's not always just looking for goal necessarily. He has made some some excellent runs to spread the ball out and ultimately getting his teammates into um, great positions. And even you, you see a lot of different strikers throughout Europe who, who have a complete game, who their teams are doing really well. I saw a um, in the Wolfsburg game today, Warghurst put together one of the craziest assists I've ever seen. And it just, I think it just highlights not only athleticism, but also intelligence and, and complete play and, Coming from somebody who has a team without a striker, it seems like most weeks, um, all that we would need to get a top three finish is a striker like we're describing here. So I think it's exceptionally important. Um, I don't know if it's the most important position necessarily, but you could argue that. But obviously, someone who can do a lot of different things well helps you uh, become a much a more refined I saw refined, this question uh, when um, put it. I um, um, wasn't really sure how to All right, next one is, be, how do you think English fo- think, um, football culture should recently improve? Recently, I saw um, is a former player and pundit called Stan Collymore, and he did this tweet basically um, listing off some words like low block, double pivot, transition, beat the press, and trying to ridicule it, saying like, oh, you're a football hipster if you use these phrases. And I think like people <laughs> who think like that, especially in this country, they're sort of like, I think that's they're sort of a bit left behind, and that's why as a national team, and even like the league <laughs> in Europe for quite a long time between the nineties and like I guess before this current and generation now, is that they weren't as good because while other countries evolved tactically, we were a lot more ignorant to it. And I think former players now coming out of these kind of things sort of show that really. So I think I think really it's a case of being more open, um, being a bit less a bit less ignorant really, and that's probably. That'll only benefit us as a as a like nation, really, because I think 
especially with like foreign coaches improving it. Like you see how Guardiola's come in and obviously he didn't invent playing out from the back, but since he came in and had success, a lot more teams have started adopting that kind of style. So I think that that's a really good example. And I think, yeah, just a bit, bit, bit more openness, a bit less ignorance, sort of just try to learn really is the main thing. I agree with that. You know why? I heard this stat. No English manager has ever won exactly. the Premier League. It's like the foreign, the foreign introduction to English football gives them this new perspective. Like, I don't know if it was Callum Hubson odoi who said this, or maybe Jadon Sancho. Their favorite players aren't English. They're like Ronaldinho or R9 or Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi. Like, just introducing foreign tactics and legacies and all this kind of culture into England will make them better. Um, and what better way than having, like, the, the brains of the operations coaching these teams? Um, I was going to say if teams, sorry, if players went to teams more abroad, like when Owen Hargreaves went to Bayern, that was an added element that, you know, maybe he wasn't like a world-class player, but just added a different feel to that midfield. Beckham going to Real Madrid, all these different things that when you're at Real Madrid and you're playing with Zidane, Figo, R9, and then you come back to the English team, what can you tell your teammates? Like, fantastic tactics and stuff i feel like that's only a plus but there's no guarantees that that will make a player suddenly great um now i I will say like any player that does decide to branch out like go to a world-class team outside of the world-class teams that are in england that would be be crucial to not only helping the narrative that english players aren't just homesick all the time but that they're adventurous and that they can learn different tactics um because in international tournaments like for example in international tournaments there's not like a play style it's like a country's style versus another country's style and like yeah in 2010 tiki was the most dominant you know in 2014 i don't know what you call those tactics just mercilessly score outscore your opponent <laughs> and in 2018 you know just uh that tactic of 4-2-3-1 with france you know every tournament is different. i don't think there's like a universal way to fix to fix England, but I think that those things that I mentioned before could could help. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, uh, sorry. Yeah, my thing is, and I've said this for years. I want to see more of England's best players branching out and going to other countries because, you know, the Premier League is a high quality, and even at its peak, I think it's always good to have. Uh, different experiences because you go to different countries, you learn from different the different style of football. You can integrate in what they've learned and take it into the England team. Again, I don't like that ninety seven percent of the um, Italian players playing Syria. I don't like it, and that's my league right there. Um, I don't like that all almost all the England players are playing you know within the Premier League. No one needs, has the you know audacity to go outside of it. And I think it would be better if some of these top top players. Um, went outside of it. Um, I don't know. I have anyone in mind, but I'd love to see James Madison come to the Bundesliga. He's someone that every time I watch Bayer Leverkusen, I think that this is a perfect spot for someone like that. And um, again, but in general, I just think we should have more. And I'm not saying that everyone has to leave the, their national uh, league, but at the same time, I think just a few more guys coming out here in Italy and in, in Germany and in La Liga and others, yeah. I think well, it would it would help. Madison, I think uh, in that aspect, but I don't know. Especially that's just West, yeah. the top four. But Jack Grealish, 
I'd love to see him play for Barcelona or something because he's good enough. He's so good. That would be amazing. Or even like Real, let's say. Like he, he's got the talent. I think it'd be amazing to see him at a club like that. Plus, he feels like he's been. You know, I remember Grealish in the 2015. Was it yeah, the FA final? Cup final? Yeah. Yeah, like this. He's been around forever. And how old is he? 23, he's 20, 24. He's just turned 25. Yeah. Not even he's 25. It. It's yeah. it's crazy that he's 25 because I remember Fantastic. this dude when he was 19. You know, Jack, I will I will add. You know that Joel Matip, yeah, that's his name. He was he was a veteran at Schalke at 24 years old, and I always wondered how is that possible? Like he was in their starting eleven since like he was 17 years old, and like when players have that much experience under their belt already, like that's something you can't buy. Like all he really knows. I'm saying that about Matip, but I also want to apply it to Grealish, where it's like he can play for any team and live up to that expectation because he's already done, like he's already proven that he's mature enough to be able to handle these kind of challenges. So I feel like he would be the one of all these English players to say, I'm going to make the decision to, to leave. Although he, he is more than good enough to play for any of those top teams at Liverpool, United yeah. City. Ab- yeah, absolutely. What, what I was saying with the, um, Sorry. What I, what I meant by the James Madison thing is not that it, he should leave or whatever, or he's the, the best of the crop that should should depart. What I was saying is when oh, I'm yeah, watching no, Bayer Leverkusen, I think to myself, they could use a player like him. That's all I was saying. Um, but yeah, Grealish, Grealish, I get completely. He should he should go to, to a different team. I, I mean, I, I, I understand Man City is going to be attractive. Man United is going to be attractive. But I just want to see him play the, the cream of the crop. In whether it's Barca, whether it's uh, Real Madrid, whether it's you know even you know something like Atletico, something different because I think that would be really amazing. And again, I love Aston Villa; they're my favorite English side. But I, I think he just for the he's 25 years old now. It's, it's time to move on. I feel, um, and I think that's going to happen. I think it's likely to be in another English team. But I would hope that he would even at least consider the possibility of of going to a, a big, you know, one of those big, big teams out there. All right. Um, um, this, well, I guess this one is mostly for Jack, um, but I'll answer it too. Uh, will you want Gerard as a uh, Liverpool manager I think, in future yeah, might, might or some German manager? I don't know what that means. Rather, but, say a, um, a Julian <laughs> or, a Yoga, or, a, or like a Steven Gerrard maybe. I don't know, but um, I wouldn't oh, want God. Gerrard straight off the top. I think he'd need to prove a lot. He's had a really good season with Rangers, but I think he needs to prove a lot more, especially in a top five league, that he's capable of managing at our level. So I think it'll take him a long time, and I'd love to see it see it happen, but I don't want him to do it too soon. He's seen at Lampard at Chelsea. He, yeah. I think the job came too soon for him, and eventually he got sacked. So I'd hate to see it happen. See it happen to Gerard. So I think wait a while, have another maybe another couple jobs, maybe have one other top job before Liverpool, and then take the step because again I don't want to see it happen too early. And and I agreed with that, Jack, because he can build his own team. In the future, this is Klopp's team. It won't. It won't be the same. Even like if Klopp moves on or gets fired, or whatever happens, and then Gerard gets this team. Assuming that that happens, he's got to fix the team, which means that there's going to be problems that are going to hinder him. But if he starts fresh and he picks the players he wants, maybe even brings some, or he has a big transfer, like a budget, that will. He, we can truly quantify how good he is as a manager if he can build it all his on his own. And right now, there, there's too many moving pieces. 
I hear Salah wanting to go to Barcelona all the time, like, or Sané to Real Madrid. I don't know how much of that is true, but, like, I don't, I don't think despite the success that Liverpool have had, that that's the best place for him right now. But, Elliot, I want to know what, what you'd want to, what you'd say. So, again, I think Gajero's doing a really good job at Rangers. He's done wonders for my, my guy, Giannis Hagi, Haji. But um, so I hope I hope the two of them stay together. Nine assists in the league this season. So, And he's, he's getting success there. He's, I think he needs another big job before he makes a move like that. Um, and I think he'll eventually get one. But I'm actually under the impression Gerard probably wants that as a dream job. Um, and I, I can only speak for myself, so I'm just going to throw the Daniele De Rossi analogy here. It's the same kind of thing where a lot of people are expecting for him one day to be the manager at Roma. And because of what he's already accomplished in the city and in, in that entire culture, even if even in five years, I'm not interested in it. Because I think there's, there's obviously there's going to be immense amount of pressure. And I feel like sometimes fans think about the last thing they saw. So if Gerard um, does his thing, comes to, to Liverpool and is underwhelming and, and, you know, pathetic or whatever. And again, it will never erase his legacy, but it will, it will have that, you know, overlasting image of Gerard failing at Liverpool. And I think he would be a success. So I'm not saying I'd be totally against it as a liver, you know, if I'm just from the Liverpool point of view, but I think that's always a risky move when you hire a former legend to your club. Um, obviously there's more room for error with Gerard. I feel it to a certain extent because he's your greatest ever player and you have lots of legends at Liverpool for, for me, just using it from my perspective. So in the De- Daniele De Rossi situation, if he came to Roma and he failed, that's it. it just, it's just, it's too much at risk just because we don't have as many legends as Liverpool does. So we have two out, you know, two all-time great legends. And I just don't want the image of him failing at flaming out. So from Liverpool's point of view, I would just be careful about that just because I don't know if it's worth it. But if he, if he earns the job and he's great, that's, that's awesome. But if, if you even do it at all, I would wait at least, at least three, four years just because you want him absolutely ready when he takes up that challenge. And yeah, I again, I'm just, I just question whether happens. that's the right thing for Liverpool and if that's the right no thing for Gerard. Happens, obviously, unless he like, gets us relegated, let's say. But let's say, let's say <laughs> he joins and has like a, ends up dropping to mid-table and gets sacked. I don't think it would destroy his legacy because of how good of a player he was. But let's say he takes a job in like 20 years' time, let's say, like really deep in the future. That future generation of Liverpool fans would have never seen him as a player. And so the only memories they'd have of him, like if someone so asks like me in 30, 20 years time, yeah. like, oh yeah, he's my favourite ever player, world class, amazing. The future generation, if you flopped as a manager, would say, oh, Steven Gerrard, oh yeah, that shit manager. That would be so painful <laughs> to listen to, but that is probably what would happen in that situation. So there would be a huge <laughs> risk. That happened to Maradona. Yeah, but that's... That... That's why I look at it that way. Like, if you're going to do – if Jared's going to do this, it shouldn't be attached to this era of Liverpool fans. Because the last thing I want as – and you always remember the great player he was. The last thing I would want – I want want as a Roma fan is De Rossi taking over in a couple of years and finishing, like, 18th – or not – I mean, that's unrealistic, but finishing, like, ninth. 
And then that's going to be the last image I saw. Because for me, I'm very sentimental towards, I mean, we don't have a lot of legends. So we, I have the two that I saw, and that's it. The last image I got from De Rossi was winning late in that game against uh, Parma and sending off his legacy the right way and everything that he came on in the second half, et cetera, et cetera, and everything. And that image is so, like, bright to me that I wouldn't want anything to come in between me remembering him, remembering that moment as the last thing I saw. So that's why I wouldn't do it. But, again, Gerard, I think, eventually will do that. But I think it should be quite a bit of time before he does that. That's all I'm saying. All right. um, we got a few more here. Um, uh, this is, this is, I think is, uh, will be a pretty quick answer. Um, uh, so I'm just gonna start with Jack here. Uh, he says, I'd like to know, where do you think, uh, Trent Alexander's best possession potentially could be in the future, yeah. whether you have him as like a, I think you uh, can do it. moving he's to midfield, I think is basically the question that's being asked. Good or enough defensively for it to happen. Um, I don't really know. I'd like to see him say the right back because of that crossing ability and because he's fam- so familiar with it already. But maybe under a different manager, let's say under like a Pep Guardiola. Let's say, let's say, let's say he played under him in the future. He'd be able to teach him and improve his like IQ and his movement and his like choice of passing and whatnot. He's already got the tools. I think he could definitely be a good central midfielder. But I think he'll, I think he'll say he's a right back, to be honest. So I think that's probably... His, I mean, he's already a world-class right back in my eyes, so I don't see why he changed that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that's that's. An, I think that one's pretty answer because he's yeah. he's not a, like world class defensively, but he he defends well enough for him not to become a liability. Um, if you look at someone at, like uh, Theo Hernandez at AC Milan, um, his and again, I think he'll continue to improve, but he can be a defensive liability. So for a player like that, I would be more willing to move a player like that to midfield. And I'm sure there's other examples. That's just the first one that came to my head. But Trent's good enough defensively where it's not going to be a problem for Liverpool's defense. So because of that, I think you just keep him where he is. You get the offensive explosion that he offers from that position, right but back. also like, doesn't put you in you harm's way. James, what do you think? Defending, that's just because, I guess, they have like a large spectrum of players that they've seen, and he's not reached that level yet. But I think he can be a world-class right back, like defensively. Also, in the 2018 Champions League final, he was – great in that game offensively and defensively and when players i don't i think he has potential to be england's starting right back once his team starts performing better and i don't think that he should change to the midfield to try to integrate himself into this into the england squad or gain anyone's you know approval or admiration for that i think he should continue doing what he's doing and he'll find his confidence back because he's got skills. He's got skills that not every right back has. He can hit free kicks, cross the ball. Yeah. He's got I pace. Think. And, well, I don't know much about his weak foot. I do know he's versatile and he could play in the midfield. Oh, he know, he, he's got a very good weak foot, actually. I, I, I can't remember who it was, but I remember him playing quite a good long, long pass with his left foot. He doesn't use it often, but it is very good, yeah. Like, wh- when I think of Trent, like that goal against Chelsea in the, from the set piece free kick where they like pass it off and he blast in top corner like this guy's already got legend written all over him but i don't think he should go for like if he had idols in the england team of like beckham lampard gerrard skulls i think that he can still have that kind of element of goal scoring in him from the right back but he shouldn't just dramatically change 
because Alex Oxlade Chamberlain did that, and yes, there was injuries involved, but like his natural position, like once he once Wenger started moving him out of his natural position, he was never the same player, even when he was put back into the position he played the best in. And I feel like with Trent, that could happen. He could lose confidence, or he could leave Liverpool for, for some odd reason, or like disrupt something. Like there's a phrase: if it's not broken, don't fix it. And he's a great player in that position. I think he should just continue there. I right back. Yeah, spot on there. Yeah, I think we all agree <laughs> here. All right, um, we got three more, and then we'll wrap up because it's been pretty long. Um, I I would like to hear your thoughts on Lewandowski and Harry Kane. Um, Do you think Kane could achieve more I mean, than he's, uh, he's Lewandowski? Without the trophy at twenty-seven, so I don't think he'd be able to achieve as much domestically anyway, but. It's a tricky one, really, because Lewandowski's gotten better as he gets older. Kane could be the same. I don't think Kane will... Oh, it's, it's tricky, because obviously Lewandowski's better now, but he's like four, nearly five years older. So, honestly, I don't know. It sounds like I'm sitting on the fence, but I've got no idea. I want... Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one, because you look at Harry Kane and all the things he does... But then Lewandowski has had six years in a row with 40-plus goals. <laughs> but then he's playing with Bayern, and Harry Kane is playing with a bunch of jokers at Spurs. If you put Kane in a different team with better teammates, maybe he – I don't know. if I don't think Harry Kane could do exactly what Lewandowski does because I think Lewandowski just has more skills. Um, but I think they would be in the same ballpark where – as it stands, I think – I don't know. I just think Lewandowski is kind of at the striker position. It's kind of clear of everyone. But if he was in a better situation, I think it all just comes down to circumstances, but it's, it's really hard to say what he could accomplish. Maybe not trophy-wise because there's no way that they're gonna, that's going to be a thing. But individually, I think they could be similar, but I still think Lewandowski probably have a slight edge that was even a if a Hurricane was like on, on a bigger like, team with, with more weapons. break Shearer's record if he stays in the Premier League, right? But Lewandowski, who's been in the Bundesliga pretty much his whole career, could, could rival Gerd Muller. Yeah. For the most goals ever. Yeah, he's he has it's less than a hundred goals between the two of them. He if, if he scores uh, if he scores forty goals or more like the, the next two years, I think he could he could catch him at the top. They have the same idea. The only I say problem for Kane is that Lewandowski just looks like he's destined to do it. And by the way, I think Lewandowski is the third top scorer in Champions League history. I don't think Kane can reach that. At least that's not. Yep. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, no. Plus, I think not. Definitely is, not. Spurs. I think Jimmy Greaves is like the top scorer in English not, football history. Yeah. And wasn't he a Spurs legend? Like, Kane's got a lot of homework to do. I just hope he stays fit because when he was in 2018, when Salah broke the Premier League record for most goals, Kane was not far behind at all. And in a better system, he could break it because he's a penalty taker. He's, he's I think. Well, people criticize him for scoring a lot of penalties in the World Cup. Those are not easy. Those are probably the hardest penalties they, a player can take. And he's got that character. And he's as, as he's getting older, the goals he scores, they require more skill. And he's, just, he's getting them. And he's become more of an assist maker. So I feel like, no, nah, he, he definitely can't catch Lewandowski. Definitely not. But that doesn't mean he's not a great player. Yeah. Right. All right. Um, 
I'm gonna actually gonna answer this one first because James, you and me have talked about this like to death about a certain uh, Diego Simeone at Atletico. But um, so the guy asked, uh, is sitting back and hoping for the best now completely unsustainable in the modern game? Um, we talk about this all the time. I think defensive football serves a purpose, and obviously it works in certain situations. But I don't think we're in the day and age anymore where you can do that and it leads you to, you know, you can win a title that way, but I don't think you can chase down the Champions League that way. The last team who kind of played that way is um, uh, Mourinho's Inter, unless I'm missing somebody. And And here's the other problem I have. And if you play that way and you have a superstar in your team, it can it can um, hold them back and not uh, you know allow them to unleash. Um, and obviously, I'm referring to Jao Felix. I think the kid is special. I think he's he's incredible. But and again, he's maybe not be he may not be a generational talent. But this kid, I think he has a lot of qualities to be absolutely amazing. But the problem is he's playing he's playing in a system that's so defensive oriented that you you can't really see what you can do. So. He didn't have a great two games against Chelsea. You can watch those two games and think he's trash. But because of – but he's obviously not. But because of the way Simeone plays his football, for example, it's not allowing Jao Felix to do what he does best because I don't think the style um, complements his game. If you put Jao Felix or a player like that in a Manchester City team or a team that's very attacking-minded – he would have much better numbers. So people look at his numbers and think he's having a bad season. He's actually having a very good season, maybe even great season, at least in La Liga. But because of the system that he's being put in, his numbers don't show it, and everyone thinks he's trash. So I think defensive football is just not the way to go anymore. You should be able to defend. You, you should get defenders that know what to do, know BS, and, and just lead from day one. You need people like DeLitt. If you have a Delid in your team or, or, or a Van Dyke or others, you're going to have a better chance at being a, group, a great defensive team. But you still have to play attacking football because this this situation just doesn't seem to be working. I did want to not add, only Atletico, but in the general like sense just as well. A defensive team. I remember before that tie, Mourinho said, we are not the best team on the pitch. Barcelona are the best team in the world. We have to play this way because there's no other option. So, like, if you if you are a defensive team, then you're already very predictable. But if you're like a team like Inter in that year who were offensive but decided to be defensive to, to win that tie, then I think it's different. I think that people can respect it if, like, a certain matchup, you've got to play a little more cowardly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in fairness, James, during that season, he wasn't he didn't play defensive football in the Champions League. Most of the defensive stuff that was happening was in the in, – you know, in, in Serie A. Mm-hmm. And I think he had, like, 10 games – that year where they had entered one, one nil. So that, for that, again, I, I think defensively you can win titles that way. You just can't win the champions league or other competitions at that level. So I don't at even think the, that was a super defensive team. At least not in the market, it just was because like Chelsea at least in the champions league. So I don't know. I just don't think it's sustainable. It was funny. Like, <laughs> I found it hilarious just because like they had to though. They were playing a Bayern Munich team. That was, I think that's the right year. Right. Uh, where they were just <laughs> they shouldn't have lost that game. If you play that yeah, Champions League final like, ten times, Chelsea are losing nine times. Yeah, I was gonna say about um, like the season. Oh, sorry, go on. No, no, sorry. I just want to add one little bit. When Arsenal went undefeated, the following season Chelsea won the league with the most points ever and twenty four goals conceded in thirty eight games. But they were not a defensive team. 
they were just a really solid back line, you know? So like, so I feel like you can have a really good defense and not be a defensive team versus I sort of sometimes yeah. feel like defensive 100%. teams are just not that good at defense. Because if they were, they wouldn't need so many defenders. Yeah, that makes <laughs> sense. And I think Liverpool's team, I think 18-19, we only conceded 20, I think like 25 goals or something like that, even though we were a fairly quite an attacking team still. So yeah, I think you can still defend really well while being attacking. But the point I was going to say about like defensive football, you can I think you can still win a Champions League with a sit back sit the back mentality. Atletico Madrid nearly did twice. So we're unlucky to lose on penalties in twenty sixteen, and Ramos scored that last minute goal to keep Real Madrid yeah. in the time twenty fourteen. I think the issue is a lot with a lot of teams, and that's fair. Is what you said about superstars. If you're an attacking player who you know has really good numbers and the system like stops you from getting those numbers you're going to be quite tired of it and especially with defensive football it's not fun so if you're if you start to lose games a bit and you don't like playing in the system players nowadays will start to get annoyed and because the players have so much power now than they used to managers can't sustain it man united under Mourinho is a good example the players sort of Get, or even even at Chelsea in his last season, getting a bit sick of the way they're playing when it's not going well, and eventually it results in the manager getting sacked. So, yeah, I don't think it's sustainable, but I think short term it can provide good results still. That's a good answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm running out of battery on my phone. Uh, <laughs> all right, one last question. It's going to be so long, man. <laughs> All right, we'll go quick because we kind of caught up with this. English football has undoubtedly produced the talent required to consistently make Dean run yeah. in international tournaments uh, and win silver. Yeah. What I'll has go, prevented quickly, the national team from achieving? We'll, we'll just answer this question quickly then. On paper, say goodbye. He's really my good. Phone is dying think, as well. Really, I think the other teams we were against just might have been a bit better. Really, I think the Germany team was is good. I think the Portugal team we played um, twice in the two thousands were as good and I think the Brazil team in 2002 was definitely better than us so I think we've always had a great team and we might have maybe done a, should have done a bit better maybe we could have been in Portugal obviously we lost some penalties but yeah I think really we've just unfortunately come up against teams that are better to be honest I agree like that Italy Euro 2012 team was amazing to lose on penalties hurt to see because I, I wanted England to win that time. Um, but Sometimes I hand up and say like, like they lost to some of the better teams. I did not. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you guys are right. I think it's. I mean, if you're if you're if you're just talking about the this current England team over the last couple of years with Southgate, I think Southgate's just not the type of manager to take England to the promised land. Not to say that he not doesn't have some quality, but. I mean, more times than not, the most talented team in the tournament is in England. And I think in the end, that's what it really comes down to. When you have teams like France, that Portugal team with young Ronaldo that they got knocked out to back in the day was, was exceptional. I mean, so I think it's, it's a mix of not having the right coach in a lot of situations and also just being overwhelmingly not the most talented team in the tournament. Um, and I, I think uh, that's where it kind of ends. I know. All right, like James, head, send us out then. <laughs> Sorry about so that. I this is long as like fuck, man. Because we'll have Jack on the show. And like, it's it's one thing to be like a pseudo Liverpool fan. Like, like for as much as I like Liverpool, in terms of like how they attack these days, 
only a true fan would know and tell you the honest truth. Because like when people ask me about Real Madrid, I'm more critical than I am. Like, how do I say? Like I don't sugarcoat Real Madrid's problems. I tell people like this is a horrible mess. You know, initially more critical than of Real Madrid. You know, it's you're funny. a realist. Um, a realist. You're like more critical yes. than positive. And so people find that confusing, but that at the same time, yeah. that's like true love for the team. And so that's why when I tell people I'm afraid of this tie. The other Ramager fans are like, you're not a true fan. You must, you should go into every tie thinking we're going to win 5-0. But no, realistically, like, that front three is still very, like, how do I say it? Like, they're itching to, to prove people wrong. Yes, yes, yes. And um, so I, I, was, I hope we were able to get the best out of Jack. They're, very, they're still very potent. And, you know, it's been a pleasure. I'll have enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but tune in next week. You know, it's oh, going to be great. and I. But this has been another, you know, 